Xtalks connects professionals in the life science, medical device, and food industries with useful content like webinars, job openings, articles, and virtual meetings to help you succeed in your career. This life science-focused podcast brings together some of our editorial staff to share insights into the latest B2B industry news to keep you up to date. This week on the show, we are discussing Elon Musk using weight loss injection, Wegovy, and Nephro's spinal cord stimulation device for chronic pain. Enjoy the show. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Xtalks Life Science Podcast. I'm Aisha Rashid, Senior Life Science Journalist at Xtalks.com, and this week I'm joined by Sydney Perlmutter and Vera Kovacevich. Thanks for coming today. I'm going to start us off with a story about Elon Musk and his recent weight loss. So Elon Musk took to Twitter, which is, of course, his favorite social media outlet, um, which he's actually set to acquire very soon after a long legal battle. And so he revealed on Twitter that fasting, as well as Novo Nordisk's obesity drug Wagovi, or semaglutide, have been the secrets behind his recent weight loss. So Musk made the revelation in response to a question that he received on Twitter, and the person asked him about his secret to looking awesome, fit, ripped, and healthy. Um, And so in response to that, Elon Musk said the secret behind all of his recent um, lean and healthy appearance uh, was fasting and also Wagovi. And so, of course, this was an unexpected endorsement um, for Novo Nordisk's drug, Wigovi, because Elon Musk is not an official spokesperson for the drug or the company. And uh, so that was uh, came kind of as a surprise, um, but uh, it, you know, it's Elon Musk. So, of course, it um, made headlines and uh, created a bit of a frenzy on Twitter, of course. And so a bit more about Wagovi, it actually received FDA approval last summer for chronic weight management in adults with obesity, so with a BMI of 30 or greater, or those who are overweight with at least one weight-related condition, such as high blood pressure, type 2 diabetes, or high cholesterol, who have a BMI of 27 or more. So given that the drug is indicated for people with obesity and obviously specific uh, BMI thresholds and other health conditions, um, it isn't quite clear whether Elon Musk should even be taking the drug, according to some. Um, And therefore, he has drawn a bit of criticism for his endorsement of Wigovi in that context. Um, You know, according to Insider, uh, these kinds of unexpected endorsements can be a double-edged sword for companies. So looking more at semaglutide or Wagovi, it's a GLP-1 or glucagon-like peptide 1 receptor agonist that was first designed and approved for diabetes management. And Novo Nordisk has two versions of it that um, it has commercialized. There's Ozempic and Rebelsis. And these have been bestsellers for the company. And GLP-1 is um, involved in the regulation of appetite and caloric intake. And Wagovi is Novo Nordisk's higher dose version of Ozempic and Rebelsis. So it's essentially the same drug, but just it's formulated in an injection form um, at at a higher dose. And so it's been repurposed for chronic weight management. 
And by acting on the GLP-1 receptor, Wagovi suppresses appetite and delays digestion and has been shown to um, lead to a 15 to 20% loss of body weight over a period of 68 weeks uh, in a study. So um, when Novo Nordisk was questioned about Elon Musk's recent endorsement of Wagovi, um, they told Fierce Pharma Marketing that they weren't aware of his use of Wagovi before he shared the information publicly. And um, so, you know, we've talked about Wagovi and also about Eli Lilly's uh, rival drug, uh, terzepatide, which is branded as Munjaro, and that is indicated for weight loss as well. So that drug was approved in May of this year for the management of type 2 diabetes. And we're really seeing like this new area where um, drugs that were designed or have been designed for diabetes management now being repurposed for weight loss um, because in through trials and real world data they've been seeing that these drugs uh, specifically these glp1 agonists um, do have uh, effects of um, weight loss and they also have been shown to actually um, you know not only target weight but also more and more studies are showing that showing that they can also cut the risk of heart attacks strokes and cardiovascular deaths as well um, so yeah, the generally, if we look at the obesity drug market, uh, it's a very, very burgeoning sector in pharma, and it's predicted to reach about $54 bill, uh, billion dollars by 2030. And according to Morgan Stanley Research, obesity treatment could become a top 12 global therapy. And Wagovi, I mean, last year alone, its sales totaled $1.2 billion. So there's definitely a need and demand uh, for such weight loss drugs. And we are probably going to be seeing more and more of them coming out soon. So I just wanted to get your thoughts um, specifically on Elon Musk's unexpected endorsement of this weight loss drug. And do you think um, he should have done this essentially, just given how we don't know the details about his specific health um, situation and whether, you know, he qualifies. Again, we don't know the details. So, you know, and, you know, given that he has such a huge following and such influence, um, do you think it could be problematic? And also because he's not an official spokesperson for Novo. Well, I think any person, if they meet the criteria for a prescription medication, medication right so if they um are meeting the criteria that the medication is approved by the fda for right anyone can just say oh i'm on this xyz brand medication right it's not a crime right like you can say you can tell people um if you want if you're comfortable with that what medication you're taking so i think if elon did qualify to get this drug which Perhaps he had a BMI of 27 or greater. Maybe he had um, high blood pressure, high cholesterol, type 2 diabetes. Um, it is it is possible. I mean, at his age and height, he would have to weigh like 200, over 200 pounds. But once again, for his age and height, you know, that's not that much. And I think if he did meet those that criteria... I don't see why it's a bad thing if he says, hey, I was on this drug, it really helped me. It could help lots of other people who um, also may meet 
those criteria, right? So I think overall it's a good thing if he was um, like correctly prescribed that medication. (laughs) Yeah, I didn't even know really he struggled with like weight um issues or or like i yeah i i guess i didn't take a close enough look um it's not really like what he's all about anyway but um yeah i don't really like see a major problem with it other than um the fact that you know he also said that he was like fasting um was it like intermittent fasting or like just days of fasting (laughs) again yeah no details really and i think that's where like the lines kind of get blurry it's like oh okay well he shared just like two words like like Mm. he just said fasting and then he followed up with another tweet and and wagobi and like that was it yeah yeah um, when you lack details i mean i'm like He's not a stupid person. I'm sure he, you know, approached it Mm -hmm. in like a relatively healthy way. And I don't think he would put his health at risk or recommend that others do so. Um, But when you don't give enough details, I think people can sort of like take that and run with it as like a, you know, maybe like a miracle, like, oh, this is my keto weight loss. But the thing is, I didn't really think and I don't think that he had that much weight to lose like i'm just a little like confused why like he i i don't know like i'm i'm glad that you know he's he's on a health journey but yeah he needs to be a little bit more um include some more details if he's going to talk about things like that um because that can really get people's hopes up i think um and fasting is not easy either so i don't uh, right (laughs) like so of course you're going to lose weight if you're fasting though Right, but that's not easy. Yeah, so he paired it with with yeah, the drug and of course there, you're gonna so. lose weight if you're taking a prescription medication that that yeah. is proven to help you lose weight and you're fasting. Well, of course you're going to. <laughs> so I mean, you know, it seems like a relatively and you know um, benign interaction between like this person who asked him about his weight loss and you know she was just curious. That, you know. Apparently he he looked he's been looking ripped and lean again. I haven't been paying attention either, but I did see a picture and yeah, he does have some definition in his upper arms and things like that now. So this person was just curious and then he actually responded. And again, I don't think he's stupid. So he knew exactly what he was doing when he did respond and, um, you know, said fasting and, and Wagobi. I mean, he didn't have to respond i don't think he responds to every comment or even like a fraction of comments on on twitter just given how many followers he has so i think i don't know it's just it seems tactful like he's he doesn't do anything without uh you know plan or tactic or in a tactic or intent you know it's not like any random dude or or dudette or anybody on on twitter or social media that is just going to respond by by the by like i just feel like yeah, he knows what he was doing, and I think it was just another way to drum up controversy, like, and that's what he's great at doing, right? So um, I think he very well knows that he, by revealing, you know, what drug he was taking, that is an indirect endorsement, or that is a direct endorsement, actually. So I don't know what his intent behind that was, but it just seems like it's just more controversy. And um, yeah, experts have been saying that, like, you know, um, intentional or not, like, this is kind of... Uh, something he should maybe have thought twice about doing 
I also had a question about um, like the use of the BMI scale. Um, mm-hmm. Is that still something? Because I, I, I just like have you know i i've seen mixed things about like bmi and it being like like scientifically accurate um is so is that still being used widely let's say in like this um you know this weight loss drug market in terms of people being prescri- being able to be prescribed uh, a certain medication oh yeah definitely um the fda approval um you know actually outlines you know what specific patient populations are eligible so it there is strict eligibility criteria um for who can receive this drug and that that criteria does include bmi Mm. so that is definitely still used as an indicator of um your your weight and situation so whether in classification of whether you're overweight obese or normal healthy weight so the bmi is definitely still a gold standard that's that's used in the um, obesity and weight loss um, industry to gauge um, eligibility for a given weight loss drug yes definitely I'm glad it's not just BMI, though. Um. No, it's other <laughs> indicators as well. Yeah. And um, like for this specific drug for Wagovi, um, I think, you know, if you have a BMI of 30 or greater, then you do qualify, but you're eligible for the drug. But even if you have a BMI of 27 or so, um, and you need to have one other weight-related condition like blood, high blood pressure, type 2 diabetes, or high cholesterol. So in conjunction with having one of those conditions and a BMI of 27, that's how you would qualify if you have um, a BMI that doesn't qualify you as obese. I see. So yeah. So yeah, it's, it's still, yeah, it's a gold standard kind of a thing in, in the industry and in um, the obesity uh, field and the weight loss field essentially so yeah and again like because <laughs> he didn't elon musk didn't give any details like you look at him and you're like oh he doesn't look overweight or obese by any means right but um like vera was saying it's all depend it you know the bmi calculator takes into account your height and other like conditions as well potentially um not for the bmi calculation but he's like six one so you know, having a BMI of, let's say, 27 may not be completely yeah. um, unexpected for yeah. someone like him. And maybe he does have other health conditions yeah, as well. Yeah, at so. his height and for his um, gender and, you know, a BMI of 27 age, yeah, and age, a BMI yeah. of 27 would mean he would just have to be over 207 pounds, which to me it looks like he is. I mean, because that's not... 207 (laughs) pounds for a person of that height is not really that much. I mean, I know that the BMI classifies that as overweight, but I think one Mm -hmm. of the issues people have with BMI is it. it's a little bit... It doesn't work for everybody, especially if you're an athlete and you have, like, muscle mass. You're going to be overweight on BMI. (laughs) Like, it doesn't work for everyone. Right. Um, And that's where you need to get into, like, more specific measurements, like... Um, body mass composition so that can tell you you know the distribution of muscle to fat I think uh, MRI based approaches um, are used for that to figure that out so yeah the BMI is just sort of like a first you know glance kind of snapshot and then the specifics um, are followed up through other different tests 
I was just curious because um, I've never like tried to calculate my BMI, so <laughs> I did it, and maybe I shouldn't have. Um, <laughs> oh no! But it says I'm overweight, um, and you've oh. you've both seen me. Um, <laughs> no, I, you are not overweight. That's the thing. That's BMI. the whole thing. Like you know, our yeah, yeah our perception or visual sort of um, pictures that we have of what an overweight person is. It, it doesn't necessarily corroborate with like the yeah. bmi or scientific yeah. um, like for example for my height if i was at the lower end of normal because the normal bmi starts mm-hmm. at 18.5 if my bmi was 18.5 mm-hmm. i would be very underweight for my height i'm just like they yeah. take my height into consideration but i feel like bmi is just not um it it just because a normal range is x to y doesn't mean like if you're on the lower end of that that you're healthy for your body right because it's it's yeah it's really a range right and even if you're over a range it doesn't mean you're unhealthy like i i think a lot of people they calculate their bmi and then i just don't think it's a good evaluator of general health um yeah it's a part part of it it, but it's not the entire um picture at all and like I said, that could, you know, you you don't, that uh, that doesn't take into account, like, your actual yeah. composition in terms of how the, the distribution of your, of muscle versus fat. Um, so that's all, you know, I've, I've been chronically underweight all my life and only now I'm finally, like, in a normal weight range, apparently, according to this BMI, uh, according to BMI calculations, but... You know, like I didn't look underweight or I didn't look like unhealthy, unhealthy. But so that it's very, yeah, I think perceptions and images um, don't necessarily line up with uh, the BMI re- uh, readings and calculations. So, yeah, no, I, I again, it's just like a first step towards um figuring out your your status and and then going from there so yeah don't worry sydney (laughs) i'm not worried it's not all about bmi (laughs) so all right let's move on to our next story and this is about an fda approval for a new artificial intelligence based spinal cord stimulation device for the treatment of chronic pain so nevro corporation which is a global medical device company that's focused on developing treatments for chronic pain uh, has received approval from the fda for its senza hfx iq spinal cord stimulation system for the treatment of long-term or chronic pain According to Nevro, the Senza HFX IQ is the first and only AI-based spinal cord stimulation system that learns from patients. And in that sense, it delivers personalized care through its digital capabilities and collection of patient data. And together, this information helps inform and guide the patient through a customized treatment pathway. Now, the Senza HFX IQ system contains um, 
an HFX IQ pulse generator, which is in, or the actual uh, neurostimulation device, which is implanted into the patient. Uh, there's also a trial st uh, stimulator that is used to test the effects of neurostimulation for about a week before the implantation of the actual device. Uh, it also comes with a charger as well as an HFX app, which is installed onto the user's smartphone. And so far, the system is equipped with algorithms to treat chronic back pain uh, as well as leg pain, including cases of non-surgical back pain and painful diabetic neuropathy. According to Keith Grossman, who's the chairman and CEO of Nevro, uh, the HFX IQ system is designed to improve the consistency of pain relief, and it's the only spi spinal cord uh, stimulation system that truly personalizes care. And he went on to say that, you know, pain is variable from patient to patient and also over time. So using big data from uh, the company's uh, cloud patient database, their unique uh, algorithm, which is was specifically developed to identify those programs where patients have been more likely to get relief in the real world. And, you know, taking all of these inputs and information, um, this system is really able to personalize a treatment plan that is right for the patient. In addition to that, actually, um, throughout the treatment uh, program, um, patients are able to um, put their or, or put in their inputs um, through the app uh, in terms of providing feedback in terms of their changes in, in pain um, and uh, other indicators. And so the system then takes that information through the app and then is able to make adjustments automatically to the treatment program. Um, through the neurostimulation device. So um, again, these inputs from patients can include percent pain relief, pain score, change in activity levels, um, or changes in pain medications. And so it's really a comprehensive um, program which uh, makes adjustments in real time. And the um, Captured patient and device data can also be directly shared with healthcare providers. And Nevro said that this provides a connected digital environment around a patient's therapy that allows for future updates to the HFX algorithm and can also introduce new features and capabilities for both patients and providers. So Nevro will be initiating a limited U.S. rollout of the device by the end of the year, and it has plans to expand that across the country next year. It's also pursuing a CE mark approval for the spinal cord stimulator in Europe as well. Um, and yeah, just a bit more details about the device. Um, it's based on the company's high-frequency uh, therapy platform, which has been evaluated in clinical trials, and is, it's further supported by real-world evidence from more than 90,000 implanted patients um, and with more than 20 million data points. So, so there's been extensive um, both clinical and real-world uh, data to back its uh, approval and its efficacy. So just wanted to get your thoughts on this new approval for this spinal cord stimulation device. Also, um, do you think patients would be more op would be open to something? It is invasive because it, it is implanted into a patient. But it's a one-time thing. Um, but how do you think it'll measure up to conventional, let's say, pharmaceutical treatments? And um, yeah, what do you think the reception would be uh, like? Uh, 
for patients, among patients? Well, I think with patients that really um, maybe uh, require uh, chronic pain help, like what this is for, would benefit from an implantable device, right? Uh, perhaps as opposed to um, having to take medications every day for a long time. So perhaps mm -hmm. that may be one benefit of this system. I do think like patients are willing to do a lot to get rid of pain, right? So I don't think yeah. it would be probably a, a minimal surgery just to implant the device in, in, I'm assuming it's in the back, right near the spinal cord. Right. I think depending on, um, I guess, the type of pain and where it's emanating from, I think uh, they would probably try to localize it to um, certain uh, nerves and uh, yeah just to determine the location of it would would vary from patient to patient yeah I think people would be willing to get an implantable device um, you know for pain relief um, I do think it it could even be more convenient for patients right they don't have to worry about putting it on every day taking it off yeah. um, etc so it could really um, you know, help uh, lessen the patient burden there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. I think um, especially when people have um, been living with pain for a really long time, they'll, you know, they become like some like I don't know another word aside from like desperate for sort of yeah. any pain relief and you know even though it's invasive I think I think they're sort of desensitized at that point like I'll try anything if anything, it will get rid yeah. of the pain exactly I agree with you both I think um chronic pain is such it, it's so it can be so debilitating right and so um, many times you come across patients that are have just tried everything and they're kind of at you know their wits and trying to find something that will um, give them some sort of relief. So I think this is a great, great device, um, despite it being invasive. And I think um, I personally think a lot of people would be open to it as well. And I'm pretty impressed by, you know, all of the clinical and real world um, data that's behind the, this. I mean, they've tested it in over like 90,000 patients and um, it, it, it appears to work quite well. And it's also great that it's personalized. I mean, it makes adjustments as you go along. Um, so as soon as there's some kind of a change and let's say, and I think it is also, it could be used alongside conventional pharmaceutical medications as well. So um, I, I think, you know, we've also talked a lot about personalized medicine and personalized care. And I think this is really cool that it brings together so many different areas. Like you have personalized care, then you have cutting edge technology with the AI um, um, component here as well that is used um, to, to you know drive this device and uh, yeah and I think it's and chronic pain is such a huge area um, and there's significant unmet need there as well so I was pretty excited when I saw this story and uh, yeah it's a very very cool device and I hope it can help many many patients um, in coming time 
All right, that's the end of this episode of the X Talks Life Science Podcast. If you liked today's show, don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. Thank you, everyone, and see you next week. Bye. 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 Thanks for listening to the X Talks Life Science Podcast. If you enjoyed our discussions today, please share the episode with your friends and colleagues, and be sure to subscribe in order to be notified when a new episode is released. To join in on the discussion, you can find X Talks on social media, email podcast at xtalks.com, or comment on the articles directly. Links are in the show description. Take a moment to join our community at xtalks.com to get access to everything we have to offer, including webinars, job listings, virtual meetings, articles, and more. The views and opinions expressed in the podcast are those of the speakers sharing them. They should not be taken as professional advice and do not necessarily reflect the policy or position Honeycomb Worldwide. For further information, email us at podcast at xtalks.com. Thanks for joining us and we'll see you next week.